making first love this morning. All right, you can be seated. All right, well, good morning. Hey, and if you're thinking uh, you would like to uh, help out with VBS, there's on the back of your bulletin, contact for Miss Nelaine Monroe. She's standing right there in the back there. And that's who you'd want to talk to if you're thinking, well, I don't know where I want to plug in. Nelaine has a special gift of plugging people in where they need to go or where they might maybe be challenged to grow. And that's always a good thing too. So visit with her. And, and uh, it doesn't matter if you think, well, I can't do some of the bigger stuff. There are plenty of opportunities to be, to be able to plug in. Kids, are you excited about VBS? Yeah. 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 Wow, I got, a, I got a whole lot of yeses, but man, right here, he was like, all of a sudden, I'm in. What? I like that. I like that, Ben. All right. Hey, so that's, that's coming up. So we're going to be um, getting registration going here. Uh, and, and I think some of y'all probably got the uh, stuff from school already. Um, but you can start to register. If you have friends who don't go to another church or, or don't have a VBS that they're going to get to go to, feel free to invite your friends, okay? So that's coming up the, in, in June there. All right. All right. So VBS. And then um, the only other thing I have for you guys this morning is if you're visiting, welcome. If you're visiting this morning and some of you are here because you're with mom, welcome. Thanks for visiting. And I, I'm going to try not to make things too awkward for you today, but it's a good thing that you're here, right? And you're, you're blessing your mom and being here. So we're glad to have you in doing that and being here for that. If you're visiting because you're trying out a new church, thanks for risking that on us. I know there's a lot that goes into that. So thanks for, for trying out a new church. On your bulletin, if, you, uh, if you've never given us a connection card, we ask you to consider giving that to us this morning. Um, you can do that two ways. One, you can take the QR code right down on the bottom of that bulletin and put your smartphone's camera on it. It'll pop up the, uh, the uh, connection card, and you can do that electronically. Or if you're more of a pen and paper type of person, there are uh, connection cards at our welcome desk that you're welcome to grab, and at least a name and an email would be great this morning, um, and that way we can get you connected with what's going on here, and then you're, you're in the loop. You can make decisions about how you want to be involved, and uh, that's, that's a great next step, all right? If today's the day you choose to worship through giving, there's opportunities at our back door. Uh, the boxes are there, or you're welcome to give online, and I'll reiterate this week, it's the joy and privilege of people who call Houston home to give, all right? That's, our, that's not our expectation of people who are trying out a church home or visiting. Um, that's the joy and privilege of people who call Houston home. It's, it's, it's what we get to do, right? And so if that's uh, you today, then we invite you to do that. Um, I did notice, I, I want to plug one more thing on the bulletin. May 22nd, coming up uh, a couple weeks from now is a Saturday. We're going to have an all-church work day, which means um, that morning, what do we have, 8? Yeah, 8 a.m. until, you know, as long as you're able to do it. I'm, they usually wrap things up by, by noonish, I think. Am I accurate in saying that, noonish? Okay, generally, yeah. Depends on what comes up, right? All right. So if that's something you're interested in helping out, um, it doesn't matter. I mean, there are some particularly unique set of skills that we need for those days. But David Harmon is a great contact. David's here in the corner. He's one of our deacons. Um, he's a great person to contact if you're wondering, hey, is there something I can help with? Um, or there's always going to be some things that, you know, maybe you don't feel like you have that particularly unique set of skills, but there's things you can do. Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name, filling up the skies with Endless praise, endless praise, Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, O oh Lord. At your name, the mountains shake and crumble, 
nations roar and tumble at your name angels will bow the earth will rejoice your people cry out Lord of all the earth we shout your name shout your name filling up the skies Endless praise, endless praise, Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, O oh Lord, and your name, the morning breaks in glory.
If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab those. You're opening up to Romans chapter 6. If you need a Bible, there should be some on the chairs there around you, underneath you. If you're using one of those Bibles, you're going to go to page 739. And uh, while you're doing that, let me just put this plug out there. If you don't have a Bible of your own or one that, that's easier for you to read and you're, you're hesitant to pick up your Bible because the language is kind of hard to get over, if while you're looking at this Bible that you grabbed from the chair, if it makes sense or you think, I can, I can understand that, please take that home with you today. We would love for that to be a gift for you, and it would be a great problem for us to have to buy more Bibles for the chairs. We would love to do that. All right, so do that. And then I also want to encourage you to open it up or pull it up on a tablet, phone, whatever you prefer. I am going to have it up on the screen, but like I say, how do you know I'm not making stuff up? I, I've said that a few times now, and every now and then someone, particularly in the youth right now while I'm teaching the youth, they'll, they'll say, I trust you, and I say, you shouldn't. 
I mean, they, they can, they should, right? But what I'm, what I'm trying to, to help train you and train them is just because someone gets up and says, thus says the word of the Lord does not mean they're quoting from the Bible, right? And it doesn't mean that they're explaining it in the context. So you need to be able to see that yourself. People have died over the centuries to preserve and protect and ensure that you get to have a copy of the Bible or access to it in your hands so that you're not just dependent upon some quote, holy man, right, to interpret things for you, because I'm certainly not that holy, right? So you should be looking at it, and uh, you, should, uh, you should see what we're looking at. So Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to do um, Romans 6, 1 through 14 in two weeks. We're going to break it up into two weeks um, because there's just a lot there, and like I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, we're going to slow ourselves down a bit uh, as we hit Romans 5 and go into 6 and then 7 and 8 when we come back from from the summer, but that way, that way we're being able to digest this a little better. So we're going to look at these sets of verses for two weeks, and it'll be two different sermons, but from the same, the same set of verses. So um, if you uh, if you won the lottery, and it was you know just an, an incredible amount of money that that um, you just could never outspend, and just take away all the tax issues and you know, all the, all the needy people that all of a sudden become your friends or family members when you get money like that. I mean, take away all that complicated stuff, right? And you just got all this money, and you can do with it whatever you want. Now, I know better. I'm not going to ask you what you're going to do because y'all are a bunch of sinners, and I'm going to hear some things I don't want to hear, right? <laughs> just like if you ask me, you might hear some things. So, but if you imagine that in your mind, keep, keep your sin to yourself for the moment, right? Just imagine, what would you spend it on? I mean, you would just, you, you would go crazy, right? Some, some of you would be like, well, I'm going to put a little bit away from my kid's college and some retirement, and that would be, uh, Dave Ramsey would be very proud of you for that, and then others of you would be paying off some debt, and he would be like, yeah, 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 get that snowball rolling, right? And then others of you, you're like, okay, but once I take care of that, then I, I want a new truck, right? I'm just going to get top-of-the-line truck. I'm not even going to throw a brand out because I'm going to offend somebody, right? And so, so you get the best truck, and you get a whole package on there, right? And, and you just kind of start, start building things. Now, now, at some point, some of you might realize there's no end to this money. And, and in realizing there's no end to this money, th- then you might start to spend it on things that, that aren't really beneficial, that probably aren't good for you, that, that probably are more destructive for you, but you, you're, you're pulling from this endless well, and, and what it might tempt you to do is just go crazy with it, right? Because, you know, you already, you already kind of respond it wisely. Now there's just where you realize, but it keeps coming, and it keeps coming, and you might go a bit crazy, and you might abuse that, that wealth, right? This morning, as we're starting out Romans chapter 6, that's the kind of issue that the Apostle Paul is going to be addressing, is the abuse of something that is so abundant. And, and the, the concern that Paul is going to, to go after is, just because something is so abundant does not mean we abuse it in order to keep receiving it. Right? But before, just a quick review. So Romans chapter, chapter 6, so, so he's writing to a church, city of Rome, right? country, Italy, Italy, and he's writing to a church that's divided. Okay? Ethnic division is taking place, cultural division is taking place, Jewish, non-Jewish. Right? And, and there's, this, there's a power struggle that, that perhaps has been happening in the church, and there is a different way of doing church. It's not that they uh, disagree on the essentials, but there's a disagreement on the way they do things. Should we eat this kind of meat or not eat this kind of meat? That's the kind of issue that would come up between a non-Jew and a Jew. Right? And so Paul's writing to a church that has been struggling with some conflict. 
And he's, he's writing to address how they should handle this conflict. But, but as, as we oftentimes find out, it's not a simple, practical, well, just fix it, right? Paul instead is, is coming and he's saying, You're, the way you treat one another, the way you should get together as a church and how you operate, it's grounded in what's true about God and what's true about you. And so that's what he's been laying out in Romans chapter 1 through 3. He's, he went through great pains to show that there is nobody Regardless of your background, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your upbringing, you could have been raised in church or not raised in church. It doesn't matter. Everybody, Paul has said, falls short of God's glory. They sin and fall short of God's glory. There is nobody who is exempt from the wrath of God because of sin. Then he, he talked about how God has done what was necessary to take sinful people and to bring them into his family, right? He did that through Christ. Jesus came, he obeyed in life. And he obeyed in death. And he did that on behalf of people who were sinful and guilty before God. And so Jesus was doing what they were unable to do and what was necessary to be done. And Paul says the way we respond to that is we believe. The way we respond to God's grace is by faith. We don't bring anything else to the table. And even faith is not something we bring to the table. It's simply the response that, that we have to God's grace. In chapter 4, we saw that, that Paul says, hey, this is not a new way of God relating to people. He's always done this. This is Old Testament God and New Testament God. He's the same God. He has taken sin seriously. In, in all of human existence as we've known God, he's always been the same God. And even before that, he was the same God. He's never changed. But sometimes we get in our minds that God in the Old Testament, God in the New Testament, one's wrathful, one's loving, and that's simply not true. If that were true, then the God of the New Testament is less impressive than you might think. Because the God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament, is the same God. Both take sin very seriously. The, the wrath that you see being poured out towards sin in the Old Testament, the reason you don't see that in the same way in the New Testament is because there was a pivotal event that took place. A man, a God-man, hanging on a cross, and the wrath of God being poured out on that man for the sake of sinful people. Oh, God takes sin seriously. He still very much takes sin seriously. But he has now, under, the, under the, the new covenant, he has dealt with that sin in the cross of Christ, in the gospel, so that both in the gospel we see God as faithful judge and gracious justifier. So Paul says in chapter 4, this has always been the case, and he gave Abraham as an example, how Abraham was made right before God by faith. Nothing new. Right? Chapter 5, Paul helped us understand it depends on who you're related to now in, in God's economy, Adam or Christ. Adam, his sin impacted all of humanity, but Christ has come and he has reversed all of that for those who are in Christ. Right? And so now, having laid that out, there's a natural question that comes up. Paul, because he had just finished saying at the end of chapter 5, and where sin increased, this is a great, a great verse, right? Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Or where, where sin increased, grace super increased. And so, you know, the way our minds work, we go, oh, wait. So the more sin, the more grace. The more sin, the more grace. If I want to get more grace, then I've got to, you see? This is what we do, right? Or, or, or sometimes we, we'll, we'll approach it and we'll say, well, God's gracious and he's forgiven, so I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to take care of that later. Okay, this is what Paul was addressing this morning. And so he's going he's gonna to ask some questions. What I want to do is read through all of 1 through 14 just so you can see it. And then I'm going to do that again next week because I want these to, to sit in with you. And I would recommend throughout the week just read these verses 
and then we're going to take just a small chunk this morning. But here's where we're going this morning as we uh, are diving in Romans 6. You died to sin so that you could live free from sin. Okay, I'm not, I, I could put right in front of that believer in Christ. Okay, that's, that's, that's who this is true of. You have died to sin so that you can live free from sin. That's what I think Paul is, is trying to drive home in these verses. All right, you died to sin so that you could live free from sin. So I'm going to pull that up a, a couple more times before you this morning. But let's just read through these verses this morning. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we could no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as an instrument for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So we're going to look at just the first four verses this morning. But again, here's where we're going. You died to sin so that you can live free from sin. All right, so, so let's take these one verse at a time here. Let's go uh, verse one. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And again, it's because in, in, in the end of chapter five, he says this, sin reigned in death, I'm sorry, in verse 20, um, now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded. So he's made this statement, and, and he's, he's, he's anticipating that the people reading it are going, wait a minute. Sin increases, grace increases. Sin increases, grace increases. So that's where he goes. So what should we say? Are we to continue in sin so that we get more grace? That's the question. Now, now this is something, and I, I think we've already all identified in our minds, we get that this is something that we still deal with today. Right? There's a problem in the church, and, and that's capital C, like the church across all the world. There is a problem in the church when it comes to grace. We don't like it. Our human nature does not like grace. And particularly as Americans or Westerners, we really don't like grace because grace is getting something you did not earn. And that kind of flies in the face of a lot of us. Right? Because, because I want to do something in order to earn what you're giving me. I don't want to receive handouts. Now, that's true for, for many people. I wish I could say that was true for all, but it's not. It's true for many people where that's just ingrained in us, right? And so we think, well, God's grace, Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Well, I don't want to just accept that without contributing something. We, we, we have a problem with that, right? And so one of the ways that we deal with our issue with this grace is we, we swing one way or the other. 
In the church, what, what typically happens is a church will either swing one way and they'll, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll go to an emphasis on holiness. Well, well, grace gets abused. We don't, wanna, we don't want people to abuse that. We need to live holy lives. God says, be holy just as I am holy, right? And, and so we emphasize holiness, the way you live and how you should construct your life. And, you know, sometimes we just get out of hand with that and we'll say things like, you need to wear this and this and this and this, or you shouldn't wear this and this and this and this. You can do this, but you can't do that. And we're dealing with things that the scripture doesn't really deal with, right? And we're, we're just kind of set, setting, setting a standard that's not there. And all in the name of holiness. And we do that while forsaking grace, right? Because, because pursuing holiness is certainly a biblical command, I mean, it's all over the scriptures. Be obedient to God, obey God, um, be holy because I'm holy. The problem is we were never meant to live holy lives separated from the grace of God. When you do that, when you try to emphasize holiness and you leave behind grace, you get legalism. You get people, church people, following a group of rules that they themselves have set or their denomination perhaps has set or their group of people uh, that they hang out with have set and they, 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 they base these rules on some standard of what they perceive as holy, righteous, spiritually mature and they say, if we do these things, this is how I reach this standard. If you fail to meet these standards, then you don't measure up and we judge people and we condemn people all over the place. We do that. I mean, have you ever experienced that in a church? I have. I've told you the story. This is a silly one. Easter Sunday, I grew up in a denominational church. Um, my parents brought me. They stopped bringing me when I was in sixth grade. This would have been shortly before sixth grade. And um, back when I was in school, it was just not very long ago, um, short rolls was a thing. Short rolls. All right, yeah, it is terrible. I heard somebody say that's terrible. All right, so I had this blue set of short rolls. I swear it was my mom's idea. But my blue set, my brother, my twin brother had a red set, right? And so Easter Sunday, I'm wearing this new set of short rolls. Now, I can understand if someone would have made fun of me for wearing short rolls, right? I would make fun of me. But no, no, what happened was these two girls who belonged to a family in the church that, that was very dug into that church, came up and they said, you're wearing shorts on Easter? You're not supposed to wear shorts on Easter. Well, I didn't know. Nobody told me, right? There it is. There's a standard, silly story. They can get really, really, really serious real quick, but that's a silly one, right? You're wearing shorts on Easter? And I was being judged. And I felt the full weight of all that judgment. And it was not because I was wearing shorter walls, just the shorts, right? All right. We do that. We get to legalism. Um, youth groups, college ministry, particularly bad at this. Why? Well, because you know high school students, middle school students, all the stuff that's going on in the world and the, the, the raging hormones that are going. And so good youth ministers and good youth workers, they, they rightly, am I talking about y'all? I mean, is, this, is this getting too personal up front here? Yeah? Some of them don't even realize I'm talking about it yet, right? But this is... Am I going to hear about this later? We're going to talk about this over lunch? Probably, yeah. So, so you, you know, we emphasize because we want to get that in control, and so we emphasize holiness. You got you to be holy. You got to live holy, and don't do this and do that. And, and so we emphasize holiness in our youth ministries or our youth camps or our college camps, and, and we drive home things, and they're good things, right? You know, um, the, the things like, um, you know, don't do drugs and, and wear more clothes, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Some, somebody said that to me recently, right? And so we just emphasize that stuff, right? And we forsake grace. I'm not saying you shouldn't address that kind of stuff with your youth group, but what's happened is many a youth group has just been really honed in on those kind of things. 
And there's no, there's no explanation as to why. There's no explanation as to the grace of God and, and what God calls us to and, and why we should change the behavior. We just say, do this because you're going to get judged or I'm going to get embarrassed or you might get taken advantage of or whatever. We emphasize that, right? We emphasize holiness at the expense of grace. One last example on this. Um, my, my son is t- uh, a little over two now, J.J., and uh, like most boys, he likes trucks, and he likes my truck, which I'm thrilled about because I like my truck, right? And he always wants to ride in my truck. And when he rides in my truck, I've trained him really well, he says, Dad, listen to country music? <laughs> yes. Yes, son, we will listen to country music. And so we'll turn on country music. Now, he's young enough, I don't have to really screen the words a whole lot, you know? But there's one song, right? Um, Frankie Ballard? You know, sunshine and whiskey, right? You don't listen to that song, do you? Okay. But he has another song, Young and Crazy. And in that line, young, in that song, Young and Crazy, he'll say, how am I ever going to get to be old and wise if I am ever young and crazy? Great catchy, great catchy line. Horrible, horrible philosophy at living, <laughs> Right? How am I ever going to get to be old and wise if I'm not first young and crazy? Now, you laugh at that, but we, we all think like that, don't we? I've got to get a little, little experience lived so that, I can, so, so that I can then be wise later. Or he'll, he'll say in his song, so that I can tell stories when I'm 80, right? But, but that's horrible because we're thinking, well, I'm going to live my life now, and then I'm going to deal with stuff later. Horrible. Absolutely horrible. Why? One, you don't know if you're going to get later. And two, you're, you're, you're minimizing the impact of that living young and crazy right now will have on your life. And if you're thinking to yourself right now and you're going, yeah, but I did that and I'm doing okay, then perhaps may I suggest that you have not seriously considered the impact of the sin in your past and how it's impacted others or impacted you. Because if you're still able to look at your life as a, as a person who would say, I'm a growing believer in Christ, but you look back and you go, yeah, I was just sowing wild oats. In fact, in fact I think that's the name of his album, Sowing Wild Oats. I was, just, I was just getting some experience. And that's how you kind of brush it off. Then perhaps you haven't really dealt with the weight of it. There are some things in my past, when I think about how I've treated people or some of the sins I've committed, it makes me ache still makes me ache for the way I treated these people. Sometimes when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm by myself, because I'd have to explain myself when I'm with people, right? I, if, I, if, if a thought comes to mind, I'm going, oh, and that's what I'll do. Like, I can't control it. Like, like out of me comes this groan of, I can't believe I did that. Or I'm aching over the pain or the hurt that it caused someone. Or how could I have been so foolish, Right? As a believer in Christ, if you're growing in Christ, you should gradually or sometimes not so gradually see your sin the way God sees it. And the more you grow in being a follower of Christ, the closer you get to Christ, the more your desires are for him, the more you're going to hate your sin, even if it's in the past, right? And, and so we, 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 we deal with this, and we'll, we'll swing this way, and we'll say we're going to emphasize holiness, but we, we forget grace. Or we go this way and we say, man, this legalism, it's killing people, right? People are getting judged all over the place and they're running away from churches because of judgmental church people. And so we're going to preach a gospel of grace, which the gospel is a gospel of grace. But when we, when we teach grace, we're teaching just this forgiveness in Christ. And, and then we de-emphasize that God still calls believers in Christ to live in obedience to him. So we're emphasizing grace, but now we're forsaking the obedience factor. Because in our experience, obedience has, has been harmful or hurtful. And then what happens is you start to have grace, 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 and then you start to diminish the holiness of God. 
You don't uphold the standards of God. You don't, you don't live in obedience to God. You start to call things that are sin acceptable. And you start to live lives that are pursuing sin, and you call that pursuing happiness. Right? And, and, it's, and it's the opposite way. And so Paul is asking really about that question there is, should we, should we continue on sinning just so that we can get more grace? Should I go ahead and live my life now and ask for forgiveness later? Here's Paul's response in verse 2. By no means. Now, we've talked about that phrase before in other letters from Paul and from Romans. It's a strong no. Think about the strongest no that you can think of, how you would say it, because I know how I would say it, right? And I can't say it to you right now because y'all would judge me for saying it. But think about the strongest way you can say no. That's what Paul's doing right here. Absolutely not, right? That is not what we should do. And then he explains why he says that. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, you remember if you were here last week or you, you go back and you read Romans 5, Paul has spent the last section of chapter 5 explaining, in Adam, his sin impacted all of humanity. But if you are in Christ by faith, you have overcome the impact of Adam's sin on humanity. You have overcome sin and death. You have now claimed the victory that is in Christ. You're alive. In another letter, Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, hey, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly lived. And then he'll get down later in that chapter and he says, but God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive together with Christ. There's a, there's a change that has taken place, right? You once were enslaved to sin, now you are set free from sin. You once were living in the domain of darkness, but God has transferred you from that domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul's saying there's a change that has taken place and you're choosing to, to ignore that change and live like nothing's changed. How can we who died to sin still live it? I'm going to go one more verse, and then we're going to talk about, well, what do you mean died to sin? Verse 3, do you not know, he's going to explain this now, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So you look at verse 2, Paul, what do you mean when, when you say we've died to sin? Well, it's about your connection to Christ. It's about the connection you, you had with Adam that has now been transferred to Christ. You once were related to Adam. Remember, this is chapter 5, 12 through, through 22 or whatever. You're related to, to, to Adam, but now you're related to Christ by faith. There's been a change. Who you're related to matters. So he says, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So this baptism, we got to talk about it for a moment because depending on your, your background, depending on your upbringing, this has a, a lot of baggage, right? So some people will read this and they'll say, well, Paul's strictly talking about water baptism, right? And then from that, if that's all we see is water baptism, well, if you want to be saved, then you also need to be water baptized. And there's denominations that push that, believe the scriptures teach that. Get water baptized and you're saved. You haven't been water baptized? I remember I was a freshman in college and um, I was visiting a, a group of friends. They, I was at Houston Baptist and I was going to visit some friends at Stephen F. Austin uh, State University in Nacogdoches, Texas. And um, uh, one of my friends had gotten involved in a Bible study group. Now, I was still in that denominational church I mentioned to you and that denominational church, at least the one I was at, was not particularly known for studying the Bible very well. And then I get around this group of people where, where that friend was attending, and man, they're meeting in a house, and they're studying the Bible. Like, they're going verse by verse. They sang some hymns first, right? And then they go going verse by verse, and I'm going, wow. Like, they're digging deep. 
And I really loved what they were doing. And then, you know, as I was spending the weekend there or a few days, I, I remember I was, one of the things that we talked about in that Bible study was baptism. And now I was baptized as a, uh, I'm, I get foggy on this. I may have been christened as a baby and then sprinkled as a seventh grader. I, I, I don't remember the details. I definitely was sprinkled as a seventh grader. And I remember hearing them talk about baptism and they were talking about like, did you get immersed? Did you get dunked? I'm like, no, I got sprinkled. And they're like, that's not real. And I'm going, what do you mean it's not real? Well, and, and were you a believer at that time? Well, no, I wasn't a believer in Christ at that time. Well, baptism is, is what you do as, as an act of obedience after, except that they were really pushing baptism. Like, do you want to get baptized now? And I'm like, well, I got to think about this. I need, I need to study this, you know? Well, come to find out, this was a church of Christ, okay? Church of Christ particularly is very adamant that you get water baptized in order to be saved. And so now I understand why they were pushing the water baptism, right? Well, they would read this and they would see strictly water baptism. But is that what Paul's really just talking about? Other people, in an effort to, to counteract that, they go, no, no, it's spiritual baptism. Paul has this idea of being baptized spiritually to Christ, like 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul says we were all baptized into the body of Christ. It's, it's about being connected to Jesus. There's an act of the Spirit that takes a person at the moment of conversion when they believe in Christ and they connect them to Christ so, that, so much so that the Scripture is able to describe your relationship with Christ as being in Christ. Or Paul is able to say you're all part of one body, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, right? Because you've been so connected to Christ. That baptism, that spiritual thing. Of course, then you go a little further, and some people go, and that's accompanied by certain signs and miracles, speaking in tongues, right? And that's that's to be discussed another point. Right? But but here's what Paul's doing here. I think it's both. How can you how can you use the word baptize, which was a common practice, water baptism, and not mean for people to pull up in their mind water baptism? But at the same time, Paul is talking about spiritual baptism. So here's what he's doing. He's using the picture of water baptism, which water baptism is what a believer does after they've believed in Christ. It is how you go public with your faith. It's how you show there's been an inward change. I'm showing this outwardly. I'm proclaiming that I have died with Christ and raised from the dead. Now, in the scriptures and in many countries, there is no category for an unbaptized Christian. It's just unheard of. In fact, the scriptures don't really have a category for that. Now you're going to go, Steve on the cross? Yeah, Steve on the cross. But it doesn't mean there's a category for that. The scripture doesn't allow for believers who believe but choose not to get baptized. It's just not a thing. In fact, what oftentimes happens in scripture is believe, you get baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch, Acts chapter 8, he's, he's riding on his way back home, and, and Philip's talking to him. He shares the gospel with him, and the, 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 the eunuch believes, and they come across a puddle or something. Hey, what's preventing me from being baptized? There's some water right there. Right? He obviously understood from Philip's explanation of the gospel that baptism is something that you do. And so there was such a close connection to water baptism and conversion. It was, it was almost like... It's an unheard of thing that a Christian would be not baptized. So to speak of being water baptized is to speak of a Christian, right? We had this phenomenon in Western Christianity in America and, and other Westernized countries where you kind of have some space. You get, you get believed, and then you may or may not get baptized. I got rebaptized as a college student when I understood what the scriptures teach about baptism, that it was an act of obedience that you follow after believing as a way to publicly proclaim. And so I got baptized in a pool. And, and, and 
that's because I felt like I had, yeah, I'd been maybe christened. I'm still foggy on that. I got to clarify again. But I definitely was sprinkled at seven. But man, I wasn't, I wasn't a believer at seventh grade. I was just going through the class that my church told me to go through. And then this is what they did at the end of the class to bring me into the covenant family. I wasn't a believer. And so I got baptized for the first time as a believer. Paul's pulling up this picture of baptism. And he's saying, when you were baptized... And you think about the water baptism. You go under the water and you come out of the water. He says, when you were baptized, now spiritually speaking, what that pictures is you died with Christ and you raised with Christ. This is where we get that theology of baptism is right here, places like this, that he says you've been um, baptized into Christ Jesus. You are now identified with him. You are now connected to him, which is what water baptism pictures. He says, don't you know you've been baptized into Christ? Don't you know you've been connected to Christ so that you were also baptized into his death? There's a death that took place, and it wasn't just Christ's. It was yours when you were converted. When, when you believed in Christ and, and, and that death took place where you're now joined to him in that death. Now, pause for a moment. If this is stirring up for some of you a desire to get baptized, let's visit this week and let's do that next week if you're ready. Or let's do that in a couple weeks if you, if you need time to get some family. But let's talk about that. Whether you're a new believer, you've recently trusted in Christ and you've not been baptized, let's do that. Or maybe you're someone you're realizing, uh, I'm not sure that I was baptized as a believer, right? Let's visit about that and let's see if we can, we can, we can move forward in that for you. All right, so Paul says you've been connected to Jesus in his death. Now, there's a couple ways we can think about this. One, when did we die with Jesus? Well, when I believed. Yes, that's when you experienced that death. That's when that conversion took place. But from God's perspective, there's no time. And so when Jesus died on the cross, you died. Now, let me show you that in Scripture, because it sounds real, 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 real fancy, but let me just show you two verses for now. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. If you're a believer in Christ, what Paul is saying is, you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's before the world was ever created. Right? That's, that's a long time ago. Look at Revelation. This is verse 13, 8 and 17, 8. They both say similar things. Talking about the beast and the dragon and all that kind of stuff. All who dwell on the earth will worship it, the beast, the dragon, but specifically everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life. Now, if there are people whose names have not been written in the book of life before the foundation of the world, what's the opposite of that? There must be people whose names have been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When did you die in Christ, believer? You died at the time Christ died. Really, you could even back that up and go, you died before the foundation of the world because in God's perspective, you were already connected to him. But experientially, when we're converted, when I respond to the gospel by faith, I'm converted. I experience that death. It's applied to my life. And then when I get water baptized, I proclaim that death. In God's eyes, happened at the moment Christ died, maybe even before that. My experience, when I responded to the gospel by faith, when I get water baptized, I'm proclaiming that that death has taken place. Now, You've been baptized into his death. That's violent. I mean, we, we do baptisms and we get all, all fancy on our baptisms and, and, and we celebrate and we cheer and it's, a, and it's, a, it's appropriate. It's a, it's, a, it's a very exciting thing. But let's dwell for a moment 
on what's being pictured. Now, we always explain this, but we don't dwell on this. You go under the water, you're being pictured as dying and being buried with Christ. You come out of the water, you're raising to a new type of spiritual life. And we're cheering, yeah, yeah, yeah. But before you can cheer, there has to be a death that takes place. That's violent. Baptism is picturing a violent thing. You died. There has been a death, and it's not just Christ. There has been something that has been put to death. That's what Paul says. You were baptized into his death. You were connected with him so that now we can speak of it as saying, when Christ died, I died. Died to what? Died to the power, the rule, and the reign of sin in my life. But wait a minute, but I still sin. Yeah, yeah, the presence of sin is still there. The, sin, the presence of sin will be with us until Christ comes back and our bodies are reunited. Or if you die in this life and your spirit, soul, your immaterial person goes to be with the Lord, you're going to be free from sin in that moment, but you won't be reunited with your body yet. But you're going to be free from it. But right now, you live in this life, you have sin. I have sin. We still deal with it. So what Paul is not saying is that believers in Christ no longer sin. But he's saying, you have been baptized into Christ's death. And look at verse uh, chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He's saying, you died to the power, the rule, the reign of sin. Sin is no longer master over you. You're no longer a slave to sin. It, sin is no longer what sets the direction of your life. There's been a change. We've talked about this illustration before. You, you're in prison, and, and, and you, you, you have a, a guard standing guard, and the guard opens the, the prison gate and leaves it open, and he walks away. You're set free. But you choose to stay in the cell because the cell is what you know. The cell is what you experience. The cell is where you know how to live. You're, you're free. You're not a slave anymore. You're not enslaved. You're not a prisoner, but you're choosing to live as such. Paul's saying when you get baptized into Christ, the moment of your conversion, when you believe in Christ... You have died with Christ to sin. And then you raise to a new type of life. See, when Jesus raised from the dead, and really this is the point of these four verses, is we might walk in newness of life. When, when Jesus raised to a new type of life, it wasn't the old life that he lived in Adam. It wasn't. It was a life that was greater, better than the life of Adam. See, we're all in Adam, remember? Remember? And, and as long as I'm connected to Adam, I live in the death that he has brought upon all humanity and that I, that I justly deserve, right? But when I'm in Christ, there's a new type of life that he's raised to. It's greater than sin. It's greater than death. And I'm now connected to Christ in his death and in his life. So believer in Christ, should I, should I go on sinning so that grace can increase? Paul says, no, because there's been a death. You died, you died to sin. You're not a slave anymore. You're not imprisoned. It, it no longer sets the direction of your life. Christ sets the direction of your life. Why would you continue to live this way when you now can live this way and before you could not? Because God's grace in Christ has been extended to you. Something you did not deserve that I did not deserve. And now that this new life in Christ, and, and as Paul's going to keep developing this, the spirit that God gives us, we're able to live in a way that doesn't come naturally to us, but instead is supernatural and in line with the life that Christ died to give us. So you died to sin so that you could live free from sin. Now, some of you, 
as, as you're sitting here listening to this, you're believers in Christ, but you're choosing to live in sin. You're choosing to be enslaved. Something's got you, right? Some sin is manifesting in your life, and you're, you're giving rent to it. You're paying it to be there. And you're, you're feeding that, right? And so, so it's got a, a hold on you, and you're spiraling down, right? If you're a believer in Christ, you have died to that. Listen to me. You've died to that. So the power that it has over you is the power you're giving it, okay? It, it, it's not even just power. It's not even right power. There's really no authority there. You're just inviting it in. But Christ has died to set you free. If you're baptized into his death, you've been baptized into his life. You're connected to him in death. You're connected to him in life. You have the power because Christ's life now lives in you. Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, I died, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's what needs to happen. But you're grieving the spirit. You're quenching the spirit. You're choosing to stay in that cell. So Lord, as a believer in Christ, Lord, help me to desire you more than I desire sin. Whatever it is, name it, call it. Help me to desire you more than I desire this. Now help, help me to resist, strengthen me to resist when the temptation is there. And listen, listen, listen. The presence of sin is real in our life. You're not going to live a life that is sinless. You're not, not, not until Christ gets here, right? But as a believer in Christ, as you grow, you start to, 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 to go further in between giving in to temptations. And eventually, some of those things that tempt you, they're no longer a temptation to you. Other things, man, they're going to have a hold, a temptation on you your whole life, right? But you're, you're going to grow in being able to resist those things. And I don't mean white knuckle and just like you get good strategy. You will fail miserably if you just build walls and think that's my, that's my defense strategy, right? Put the defense strategy in, in, in place, yes, but then what needs to happen is your heart needs to continually change. So God, grow my desires, my affections for you so that I desire and love you more than I desire and love these things. And when I desire and I love Christ more, those things will lose its appeal. And when those things tempt me, then I'm going to be more pulled towards Christ than I am towards those things. Some of you right now, you're being more pulled towards those things. And you're going to sin. It's going to happen. But listen, there's not a sin that Christ didn't die for. Nothing. And so, so the other thing is, well, some of you are going, yeah, but I've done this so many times. All right, we're going to get to that in a minute. I've done this so many times. Is there a limit? No, that was Paul's point. Where sin increased, grace increased even more. There is no sin that you can commit that will out-sin the grace of God. None. And if you think you've come up with one or you've committed one, then you need to consider what you're saying, that Christ, your death, was not good enough for this one. Or Christ, your death, was not good enough for this many. Consider the weight of what you're saying when that's what goes through your mind or that's what you choose to believe. Because Jesus came and his death was perfect. Absolutely perfect, spotless. There's nothing blemished in Christ. And then he rose to a new type of life. His sacrifice is eternal, everlasting. So some of you believers in Christ, you're caught and you need to be set free. And that involves confession. I need to see things as God sees them. I need to call sin, sin. I don't just need to acknowledge, well, I messed up. That, yeah, that's nice. Kind of lets pressure off the top, right? Feel a little better. Oh, building up again. Oh, I messed up again. No, God, I see this as sin. I have sinned against you. I've sinned against whoever. 
I call sin, sin. That's confession. Some of you, that's where you need to go so that you can then walk in the, 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 the freedom and the forgiveness that Christ has purchased for you. Others of you are going, yeah, but I keep giving in the same sin. Okay, all right, at some point, you need to be asking yourself this question. Because what Paul is teaching is not that believers stop sinning, but that there should be a change in their life. What, he, what he's getting at is a believer in Christ, sin no longer characterizes your life. Sin no longer is the dominant attribute of your life. So if this is what characterizes me, I need to be asking the question, do I have that newness of life? Am I connected to Christ? Because it may be that I got caught up in an experience at some point. I raised my hand, I, I prayed a prayer, or I said something, and, and maybe in that moment I was just following what someone told me, but there's been no genuine belief. Lord, am I, do I belong to you? Because if, if this is what characterizes my life, it may be that I'm not in Christ. I'm still in Adam. You need to consider that. And if there's doubt, God, would you let me know? Romans 8, it says, the spirit of God that he gives us uh, testifies within us and cries out, Abba, Father. If you're a child of God, then God encourages you by the spirit that he gives you. Yes, you belong to me. God, is that me? And if not, the spirit will show you and then you believe in what Christ has done for you. That's enough. So I don't know where this is hitting you. You died to sin so that you could live free from sin. I know there's a need for freedom. We all have it. And so we're going we're gonna to ask the Lord to show us what is it that you're trying to, to show us through your word this morning. Where's those areas that we've been enslaved? Maybe we're giving permission to sin. God, what are you saying to me? What has my name on it? Let's take a moment let that sit on us this morning. I'm going to ask that if you're able to stand and sing this, let's sing that together as we wrap up. Oh, Jesus, you have won me. You've broken every chain with love and mercy. You've triumphed over death and you are worthy of glory and praise. Let's sing it out. Oh, Jesus, you have won me. You've broken every chain with love and mercy. You've triumphed over death and you are worthy of glory and praise.
glory and praise. So Father, I pray for freedom in this room. I pray for freedom for those who are, who are not yet yours, that, that who have not responded to the gospel by faith, that you would show them that this morning, that they might be set free from sin, that they would be connected to Christ and die with Christ and be raised to new life today. Show them. And God, I pray for those of your children in this room who belong to you, but place their trust in you, but, but they're ensnared right now. Let this truth that they've died with Christ and they've raised from the dead be driven into their hearts. Let your spirit apply it and show them so that they can understand that there's been a change that takes place. And may they call upon you that they might be set free this morning. And then God, stir our hearts and our affections up for Christ that we might grow in our love and our desire for him, that we might long more and more for the things of God and less and less for the things of God that are opposed to God. Do this work in our lives that only you can do, but by your grace you do, that we might be people who are growing and changing for the sake of your name and your glory. And so as you depart from here, know that you're a people who have been set free and go and live free. Where the, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So go be free in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you next week.